0: How many love Jesus today? You love him? How about the rest of you? How many really love Jesus? Anybody else? Okay. <laughs> Big shout out to Elk River, Lakeville, Maple Grove, Spring Lake Park, and those that are joining online. So glad that we could all be together today. I love summertime. Happy summer. Uh, and it turned up quick, didn't it? It just, the, the heat dial just went up and Enjoying it traditionally, Minnesotans take their summer to get away for vacation, travel, barbecues, and yard work, and enjoying the outdoors, or some of you just like the air conditioning. Kids have camps. Emanuel kids have our camps coming up. We've got Emmanuel youth coming up with their camp as well, and let's be praying for the next generation. Amen? And if you've yet to sign up your, your kids for camp, or you're a teenager here and you need to sign up, please do. A-S-A-P. All that's going on, and families are taking their their kids to baseball, soccer, basketball, band camp, anything to keep the kids busy. And then, you know, everybody's just going into a different kind of a season. That's all normal. Our our board of elders here at the church have given Jody and I some extended time for rest and fun and and study. And I'm going to maybe do some writing this summer, and I'm looking forward to giving some attention to that. All of us, our routines can be interrupted at different points during the summer. So when it comes to keeping your connection with Jesus and Jesus' family, the church, be smart. Turn to the person next to you and say, be smart. Colossians 4.5 says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. You know, there's ways for you to stay connected to the opportunities available here at the church this summer. We're going to be having an online study of Susie Larson's book, Strong in Battle. I encourage you to jump in on that if you haven't already. Um, Then we've got church services every Sunday morning that you can get online. You can uh, be in person at any one of our locations. You can access it through our our app on your phone. There's just many different ways. And of course, we've got our midweek services for kids and youth. Parents, I just want you to know this. Whatever is important to you is going to become important to your kids. And so don't let there be a three-month gap of you being connected to the church. Make it a part of your story. Can I get an amen to that? So let's dive right in. We're going to go right into a, a new series, and we're going to be covering the book of Exodus, and the title of the series is Exodus, the Great Escape. Now, we're going to Look at what I think is one of the most important books of the Old Testament. That might be shocking to you, but why is it the most important? Well, it's the grand story of God's love for humanity. It really is. It's the passionate commitment to reestablish real relationship with fallen people. And we're going to see in Exodus all the elements of rescue and hope that are still available in this day. There are going to be a lot of parallels to our own lives and to the story of Jesus' redemption from all people. In fact, you're going to see what happens in Exodus happens through the rest of the Bible. They'll recall what God did in the people of Israel later on in the New Testament. And then of course, Jesus, think about it. The Passover we'll see in Exodus and Jesus in the blood of the Lamb and the Red Sea parted and provision in the wilderness, the official worship manual for people to be connected to God, which we now call the law of the Old Testament. What God did with Israel, he can still do with us. And I believe that you're going to experience great things if you lean in to all that the word has to say. Now, I'm gonna give you today's message up front, if you will, the big idea. And here's the big idea. Two stories are always true at the same time. Say that with me. Two stories are always true at the same time. The first one is this. God sees and knows you. He sees and he notices you. You might be in a crowd today but he notices you. Turn to the person next to you and say, he sees you. (laughs) And the second thing is, God is writing a larger story that includes you. It includes you. You're not disconnected from it, but you're in the bigger story. Now, this past week, uh, we visited family in Michigan for my niece's grad party, and it had the impact of reminding me how I grew up because Michigan's the motherland. It's the place where I grew up. And, uh, and there's a lot of fun we did. We went to this grab party. That's me and my niece and Jody. And we had fun at the party. And then during the party, my brother and I got to grill. That's my brother there. And of course, he's got his Michigan shirt on. And yesterday was his birthday. Happy birthday, David. And uh, we had just a lot of fun. We also went through the, the countryside and a lot of driving. And it unlocked all these memories even when I was in high school, I, I, I just I couldn't believe the things I was remembering that I had forgotten for so long. We went out to Lake Michigan, one of the great lakes, and, and we went out to the beach there. And their beaches are, I think they're better than Florida, honestly. It's like, you know, there's dunes and sand. It's really fine sand, fresh water. Just really had a great time. And one of the things about being in that environment is I was reminded of earlier stages of my life moments where I just, I was, let's face it, I was a stupid teenager. I did some things that were dumb. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who I was. I played football. I'd done a lot of different things. But I can recall just being kind of frustrated internally, not knowing what was going on with my life and where it was going. And this is really kind of the setting that you're going to see what's happening in Exodus because there are people that are moving from something to something else. Because all these years later, and I'm 50, none of your business years old now, I I can tell you this, that there's been a lot of change over time. And that's the way God works. There's process to what he does. He takes you through a process. It's not all just one snapshot of your story, but it's the bigger picture of what's going on. And when I look back, nothing is wasted. Literally, Literally, every part of my personal story had purpose and would be used in God's larger story and it's also bigger than just being about me you know I can remember I was kind of like really kind of narcissist in my thinking that's what young people do sometimes all you can think about is yourself I was the star in my own show anybody that was nice to me evil anybody that was cool to me you're amazing I mean I, and anybody that would, I, it was all I could think about it. if things were bad for me the whole world was crashing and when things were good everything must be good right And I might not have noticed the needs of the people around me. And that's why we start. We start with an immature, self-focused, self-interested picture of our story. But as we grow, God has a way of expanding our vision and understanding it isn't about me. Now when I look back, all of those ups and downs, highs and lows, and later on moving to Minnesota, and then getting married, and, and starting a journey of having, having kids, and then raising kids, and all of the things that we've gone through over time, God has a way of weaving it all together, and it wasn't just about Nate, it's about a bigger picture that God has for me. Now the Bible starts with Genesis, and the book of Genesis means beginnings, It means the beginning. It was a big narrative that followed individuals from Adam and Eve to the family of Abraham all the way up to Joseph. And we see in there the story of God reaching out to humanity in that beginning book. And it's important to note that the only thing the people of Israel had to pass on with everything that we see in Genesis are stories passed from parent to child, generation to generation. At that time, they didn't have the Word of God written out. They all, all they had was the narrative, the story. And here's a huge reality for you. If what happens between you and God is going to pass to the next generation, you have to tell the story. You do. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got to tell it. It can't just remain in your own head and you can't wait for Pastor Nate to tell your story. You got to share it. There is power in transparent testimonies. Revelation 12, 11, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That wasn't written down. That's spoken. We need to share our stories. Parents, share your stories with your kids. Don't expect it all to happen just in kids' ministry or in the youth ministry. Don't expect somebody on some podcast or some YouTube channel to train your kids about what you know about God you need to share your story. You're like, but there's a lot of bad parts to my story. I don't know if I want my kids to know. Well, there's a time to share different things, but you can also look at them and say, God has been faithful to me. Why do we have to go to church? Why can't we just watch it online? You can just say, I go to church because God has changed me and I need my sisters and brothers. There's something about the story of my life. They need to catch that from you. But I think in general, the whole church needs to consider sharing your testimony. We do 180s on Sundays, and we share our story. and The turnaround, and it's powerful. It empowers people that are listening. It stomps on the devil's head. You know, sometimes the enemy will say things about what I did in the past, and I can go, you know what? I already talked to God about it. He's forgiven me. The blood of Jesus is over me. And so back off, devil. It's not new information to God. And then when I share it with other people, did you know what God did in my life? Then I double knock him out. The enemy is defeated because I'm sharing my testimony. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I got to keep moving here. Now, there are... Over 300 years between Genesis and Exodus. In total, Israel was actually in Egypt for about 430 years, according to Exodus chapter 12. But between the end of of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, as we dive into the Bible here today, there are about 300 years. What can happen in 300 years? A lot, right? We're going to see it here. Exodus chapter 1. How many of your Bibles? Let me see them. Put them in the air. Wave them like you just don't care. Electronic, paper, or whatever. Hey, I'm going to keep challenging you. Get yourself a paper Bible. Have multiple in your home because they're changing things digitally. Let's make sure we, this, we never lose this in our lives, right? Exodus chapter 1, starting with verse 6. It says, in time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. And he said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. And if we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. A few things that you're going to see in here, that, of course, we ended in Genesis, and Joseph was a great blessing to Egypt. He had helped them survive a famine and infect the whole known world. But in 300 years' time, all of those stories didn't pass on the Egyptian side either. And a pharaoh arose, who was the king of Egypt, who didn't know anything about what had happened. He didn't have like a favorable heart towards the Israelites. And so he begins to conspire and he's got to deal with something. Another thing you see in here, the Israel got really big. They had lots of babies. And their babies had babies. And their babies had lots of babies. And and so they're like rabbits and they're like growing in the land, right? So this this is pretty cool. And so the king doesn't like it and he's threatened by what's going on. I want you to catch here that this is a big narrative story. In other words, God is doing something. He's showing you what's going on with Israel. We've looked at Abraham, we've looked at Isaac, we've looked at Jacob, we looked at Joseph. Those are all individuals. But now we're in a spot where we see the bigger picture than just the individual. Because God is doing a bigger thing. He promised Abraham they would make him into a nation. And that nation is now growing, and it's growing, and it's growing. And Egypt doesn't like it. And by the way, this is a part of God's plan too. Because God wants Israel to leave Egypt and go to a promised land to the north. He wants to get them out. How do you get a whole group of millions of people out of a country? Well, God's going to take them through a process like a baby goes through the birth canal. There's a process to what God is going to do. And it's a bigger narrative to the story. Pharaoh enslaved the Hebrew people, and insecurity will do that. How many know that insecurity will cause you to hurt other people, or you could be on the job and your supervisor can be insecure about you and make life difficult for you? It happens in every sphere of life, and that's what's going on in here. Starting with verse eleven now. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. And they forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. And the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Man, this is not a fun picture to the big story, is it? There's pain in it. But I want you to know, in God's big story, pressure and persecution produce multiplication. Even historically, the church has always grown in seasons of persecution, Blessing actually hurts the church sometimes. And you see this here in the text, that the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. Yes, it got more painful, but the result was growth. I also want to do a little footnote here to the text in the story, and that slavery is not glorified in this grand story. It's very clear that slavery is a bad thing. It's hurting Israel, and I'll tell you this, slavery anywhere at any time is a bad thing. They're hurting and oppressing people. That's not the heartbeat of God. That's not what authorities are meant to do with their power, but this is what you see in world history. This is still what you see sometimes around the world. In America's history, there's a point in time at which we had African slaves in America who found hope and identified with this text. Because they saw themselves as kindred spirits to the Israelites under the oppression of their slave masters. And they would sing songs, great spirituals out to God. And still to this day, there are churches around the country, the, uh, the AME church and other churches that came and emerged out of uh, the Civil War and post-slavery, who still have a deep passion to connect with heaven and they read the exodus story and they find great hope even in this day. We also must recognize that we have an enemy that hates God's plan and who strategizes to kill God's plan for us. Look verse 15. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, "When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver." If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders, and they allowed the boys to live too. Now, this is interesting. It says there's a plan here. So Pharaoh starts strategically. He doesn't do it all over the country, but he wants to wipe out the next generation. And so he wants to knock out the boys. And so the way he does it is he goes to the people who birthed the boys, the midwives. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Now you see in there that the Hebrew uh, is is the title for Israelites here. That's a a kind of a a similar name to the Israelites. Only it was kind of according to their culture and their language. And so uh, they called them the Hebrews. It was just a kind of a name that they threw out there. Much like, by the way, today, some people, they'll look at people who are are Hispanic or Latino, and they'll call them Spanish. They're not Spanish, unless they came from Spain. But they speak Spanish, so the people are calling them by their language. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? So this is what's going on here. Now, the boys were a threat. And it says in John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy That's what the enemy works to do, strategizes to do. And he'll do it in places that are strategic places. He'll put them in places of of high importance and authority in society, in government, in education, in business, where they can do things to target groups of people to, to make life difficult for them. You will see the, the spirit of anti-Semitism, if you will, being poured out in various places around the world to knock out God's people. And it's strategic. And, and Pharaoh starts by going to the midwives. But it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. It says, but because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders and they allowed the boys to live too. Give it up for the midwives, right? I mean, this is one of those moments like, you guys are amazing. Well, Listen, God rewards you when you care for babies and their mama. And church, God will reward us when we take care of babies and we take care of their moms. No matter their situation or how they got into it, when we take care of them, God rewards us. I love that. I believe in verse 20, it says, so God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes our rescue, though, makes the enemy even more angry. Going on to the next verse, verse 22, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy, into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. I'm leaving aside some commentary. I've got his thoughts about uh, the spirit uh, of the age and the the enemy going after boys in particular. I think it's happening right now. I do think it's happening, and I come against that in Jesus' name, right? Young men, they have a purpose. They have a, a reason to live. Now, there are strategic reasons for what Pharaoh was doing here as well. But I want you to catch also that Pharaoh now moves on from the midwives and he he, uh, deputizes all of Egypt to go after the Hebrew people. He goes after them through all people. He tells them all, throw them into the river, let them die. And it's almost like that anti-Semitic spirit began to spread. And now they are demonizing one group of people, much like Hitler did in World War II to the Jews. That if we can put all of our hatred on one group of people, then somehow somehow that elevates us. And that's what Pharaoh is doing here. Listen, now that we see the larger part of the story of what is going on and the oppression of of Israel in Egypt, I want you to see what happens next. Because now it goes back to a personal story. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, about this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant, and gave birth to a son, and she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket, laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River, The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. And soon, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. And when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby, and the little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. And then the baby's sister, hey, got a little strategy going on here. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And she asked, yes, I do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother, who was also her mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. And so the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. And the princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Now, now, if you were my boys when I was raising them and we were in the room and I just read this, I would go, okay, so here's, here's what's going on. So what had happened was, is you got this spectacular moment. A family wants to save their little baby boy, and then they do it by kind of creating this basket that's waterproof, and they put him into the river. Then they watch what happens as the the basket floats down the river, and the baby's sister is watching. And then Pharaoh's daughter, think about this, the daughter of the very villain who ordered the death of Hebrew boys, that woman felt something in her heart for that little boy. Tell me God wasn't up to something. And the baby's mom was allowed to nurse and nurture her own baby at the direction of Pharaoh's daughter, and she paid a slave for it. They got paid to raise their son. That's crazy, right? And finally, the little boy was adopted by the princess, allowing him to be safe from the edict for Hebrew boys to be killed. It also means that Moses will be trained by the elite with an ability to understand Egyptian culture and leadership, which would pay off decades later when he would return to lead his people out. Listen, there are no mistakes in our lives. Everything that seems so detoured, God has a way of redirecting it to his big plan. Now, fast forward in Moses' life. We see the individual. Fast forward, look at verse 11. It says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. And during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand the next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. And the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Um, You see in here that Moses is later on in life. He's probably around 40 years of age. And he has grown up. He's been educated. He's probably serving in Pharaoh's team. Might have been one of his generals. Might have been on the elite staff. There's a movie out, by the way, called Prince of Egypt. Anybody ever heard of that? That you could watch. There's a good week to watch it, because there's a lot of this story that's hidden within it. But he's now kind of maintained dual citizenship. He's both Hebrew and Egyptian. But something else is going on inside of himself. Emotionally, over time, there's a tug of war. And he becomes angry about how his people, the Hebrews, are being treated. And so what happens is that surges to the top in him and he reaches out and he kills an Egyptian man. Now, Moses has an issue with emotion. You're going to see that throughout uh, the rest of Exodus. And he's got to deal with it. His emotion costs him. I mean, know murder costs. Later on in the scripture, it says thou shall not kill. All right. And Moses is going to pay a price for his actions. Maybe not the one you would choose when somebody murders somebody, but he's going to pay a price for that. And he flees for his life. And now he's out in the desert, away from everything. What is he thinking now? He's 40 years old, he just blew his entire life up, and he's living in witness protection in the desert. Maybe he's mad at God. Why did you do this? Why are my people in slavery? Why did you make me grow up a different way? Why am I so alone? Is all lost. He's probably mad at himself on top of that. He says, why did I do that? I wrecked my whole life. I'll never see my family again. What a waste. If he's like most of us, he isn't thinking about the big story at this point. He's not thinking about God's grand plan. He's solely living in his own personal perspective, his own personal prison. He's alone. And Moses seemingly slips into lost years in the text that take decades. And through a series of events, he is brought into a family. He marries a, a daughter in the family. He has kids, and basically, he settles into a new life far, far away from the big story, the big plan. He's forgotten. And a clue to Moses' emotional world at this point is seen in what he names his son. It says in verse 21, Moses accepted the invitation, and he settled there with them. And in time, Ruel gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. And later she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. He names his kid based on his emotional worldview. Now, this is what Gershom means. He says about it, I am, which is an identity statement about who he is. I mean, no, we've got some identity issues in America today. People trying to figure out who they are. He says, I'm a foreigner, which means I don't live with my people. I don't feel like I belong. Even on the job or in my family, something inside me. I don't feel like I belong in a foreign land. I just don't belong. I just, I, I'm not in the right place. Let me just say this. For people of all ages who have settled, given up, feel isolated, confused, or forgotten, especially next generation, hear me clearly. Just getting another title, another name, another job, another identity isn't going to fill the void on the inside. You're going to feel lost. You're going to feel disconnected. But no matter what you've gone through, whatever has happened to you or has been stolen from you, it's not over. And you're about to see with Moses, he went into the desert at 40 years old, and now we see him at 80 years old, and he's got a rebuilt life, new family, but something's missing. He's in the prison of his thoughts, and one encounter with God can change everything for Moses, and one encounter with God can change everything for you. God will call an individual out of their internal captivity, and then he'll use that same person in the escape for many others. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, which his father-in-law goes by two names, if you notice the previous text. It goes by Jethro and Ruel. The priest of Midian. And he led the flock into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Recognize Sinai is the very place where Moses will return with Israel many chapters later. Verse 2, then there there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. This is where Moses is encountered by God. I want you to consider this. He's out on the job, just going about his ordinary business, going about his ordinary day, taking care of the sheep. All alone out in the wilderness. And while he's walking along, he notices off the side a bush that's on fire. By the way, bushes light out on fire in the desert, in the wilderness all the time. So why did this get his attention? It got his attention because this bush would not burn out. How many know God is a God who doesn't burn out? He's an all-consuming fire that doesn't stop. His tank never goes on empty. Come on, somebody. This is the kind of God. Now, Moses is walking. Now he has a decision because God is letting him know, I'm going to talk to him. So he gives him this sign. So Moses stops. If he were driving down the highway, he'd put his blinker on and he'd turn over to the side. And it says he turns aside and he gets over to the side and he walks up near the bush. And now God begins to speak to him. God speaks to him. Now, this is the coolest thing of all, because for 80 years, think about Moses' life in his backdrop, all the things he's gone through. He's given up. He's hung it up. He thought his life is over. I'm never going to do anything good again. My, I'm on wanted, most wanted posters back in Egypt. Nobody wants me. I'm just out here doing nothing. And here, God remembers him. This is so cool. Listen, I don't know. On the count of three, just say your name out loud, your first name. One, two, three. This is so cool because at this moment, God is saying your name. And he says, Moses, Moses. And just like the rhythm of a dance, when one partner steps forward, the other steps with, in the rhythm of relationship with God, God first gives him a notice with a burning bush. So Moses responds. And goes to the burning bush. Now God says, Moses, Moses. Guess what? The next step is for Moses. He needs to say, here I am. And in relationship with God, when God speaks, when God moves, when God calls your name, you need to stop and say, I'm here. I'm not going to hide from you. Even if I'm mad at you. Even if I don't understand what's going on. I'm going to respond to you, and that's exactly what Moses does. This moment is one of the most outstanding moments in all of Scripture. And I want you to see what happens next next in verse 5. After he says, here I am. He says, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. God declares, I am. Back to Moses. Moses has, and we'll see it next week. I can't wait till next week's message. Because then next week, we'll look at the excuses and all of that that Moses is about to bring up. But before he brings up all of his excuses, God says, I'm the answer to all of your problems. Every excuse, everything somebody said to you, everything that you're mad at, somebody that hurt you, church hurt, whatever it may be, every little thing that's happened in your story, everything you're disappointed in yourself for, everything you Given up on believing in yourself or your family or that lost friend or loved one or that prodigal son or daughter who's wandered away. Every little thing I want you to know, I am. And not only am I am, but God says to Moses, I am the God of that bigger story. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of everything you saw in Genesis. And not only am I the God of all that, but I'm going to bring you into that story. You are not insignificant. You matter to God. And I'm going to use you. And let's say this today, church. No matter where you are listening at home on a podcast, you're joining us from the lake online, or you're in one of our locations, I want you to hear me clearly. No matter where you are on the planet, when God steps in, That becomes holy ground. Set apart space. Now Moses had to respond and take his shoes off. I'm not asking any stinky feet to take your shoes off today in church. You can if you want, but I'm not asking for it. But the response has to be, when God speaks, I am. Even if you have objections, look at God, recognize you're in the presence of the Almighty. And listen, for Moses, this one pivotal moment would forever shape the rest of his life you will find that Moses gets alone with God over and over and over again because there is only one source for his capacity to lead outside. It was the presence of God. There is only one way for you to lead your family, lead your business, be who God has designed you to be. It's not the crowd. It's not the applause. You can't get it at a a store or on Amazon.com. The only place you can get it, even isn't just listening, to a preacher. You've got to get yourself in a place where you're on holy ground. You respond to the one who created you and you say here I am. Come on somebody. That's the place. That's the place. Would you stand with me today? I love reading the word. Finding it in. I'm, I'm committed by the way. We're going to keep reading scripture in church, because I've just realized that there's whole generations that have only heard sound bites and Twitter quotes, and they don't even know the word. We got to know the word. Amen. In my own story, um, when I was in Michigan last week, I couldn't help but remember what was going on inside of Nate's head. I didn't know where I was gonna be someday. And I started doing some dumb things as a teenager and my heart was hard towards God. But God sent me into a burning bush moment and I will never be the same again. How many of you can remember your burning bush moments? You might've responded to God, but when God met you. I grew up in the church church. My mom and dad talked about Jesus. They spoke in tongues at the dinner table. I got saved hundreds of times in in Sunday school, right? But I can take you back to the point in time between my junior and senior year of high school. When I was confused, and I know we have a confused generation right now. We're making... There's so many things being offered to teenagers that they aren't even ready to handle. I was confused and we were on this trip to Cedar Point. Bus broke down. God met me in a church in Sandusky, Ohio. I bowed my knee and I wept for three hours. Nobody was, all my friends were all laid out. My buddy Alan Griffin was in the choir loft next to me. He was talking to God. And it was a holy ground moment that I wasn't getting my daddy and my mommy's religion, but God chased me down. And I'll never be the same again. I will never be the same. Now listen, time has a way of eroding that moment. If I don't find my way back, now, I don't need to get in my car and go to Sandusky, Ohio to find God. Come on, somebody. In fact, I'm pretty sure God might not be in Ohio sometimes. As a Michigan fan, not so sure about that, right? But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. My, the cry of my heart as I move into new seasons of my story is, God, I want you. I want you. And if I got to pull away from the crowd to spend time with you, just like Moses learned to do, God took care of the people of Israel later on as long as he spent time with God. And I just know that even in the confusion of moments when I, I don't know what to do and what's going on with governments and financial world, and politics, and you add into that what's going on in the home and our physical bodies and everything else. In my own personal story, only God knows how to connect me to his bigger plan. You know I matter, God. I don't get it right now, but you know you've got spiritual GPS. I need to be connected to you. I need your presence. And only he can awaken what has been lost. If you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, I just encourage you to do it right now. Come to him. God might be meeting you right now. All you gotta do is turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave. That you're alive. When you died, you died for my sin. I choose to put my trust and my hope and my faith in you. Please forgive me of my sin and make me new. You pray a prayer like that on your own, your own words, God will make you new. You'll be a new creation. And then it's not just one moment, but you're going to chase him for the rest of your life. You want to be in his presence. You can do that. After service is done and we'll have our prayer teams available at each of our locations. You'll have in a moment. You can come. We'll give you a Bible. We'll help take care of you in your next steps. But I want to just say this right now. All of us, we need the presence of God. And We need him to connect our personal story to his grand story, and we need to trust him. We'll sing together in just a moment, but I want to pray for you first. Just throw your hands up to heaven like you're talking to him. You're throwing your antenna up, if you will. Father, we just come before you, and we thank you that, Lord, you are the God of more than enough. You are I am. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you know us, and you rescue us. And you have a way of weaving things together, everything from rescuing a baby in the Nile River, all the way through series of life changes, and even massive mistakes like murder. God, and then being lost and forgotten and alone. You know how to meet us exactly where we are. And today, Lord, we know, Lord, that we can't run from you. We can't hide from you. Lord, we... We're just going to stop and we're going to lean in. We, we see the burning bush. We hear you saying our name out loud. And Lord, we turn aside and we say, here I am. Lord, we pray that you would do your work in our lives that only you can do. We're coming for you, and we pray, God, that you would awaken and remind us and fan into flame the gift, that experience, that holy ground moments in our story and do it again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise today. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.